Just from putting, like, the police haven't even told them that their daughter is dead yet. They just are smart enough that they know they don't know where she is, and now there's a sheriff's car pulling up outside. Oh my god, it's all over. This is the end of everything. I mean, well, since that, that's, since that's Kyle is amazing, since Kyle is going on a rant that not enough television shows focus on the grieving families affected by murders, I guess we're listening to the Big Bang Theory theory. Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Kyle, and we have special guest with us today. That's right, everybody. The prodigal son returns. It's me, Chris, from two years ago. Yay. And so, Chris, being on two years ago means that you are on during the, the infancy of this podcast. Uh, what's it like being on a show that, against all odds and against all lack of interest, has survived this long? You know, I gotta be honest, I'm real impressed that you guys keep putting yourselves through episodes of The Big Bang Theory. Yeah, it's it's a good... Pay- I, I imagine this is what exercise is like to some people, where it's it's not fun, and it doesn't really feel like it's helping you as you're doing it. But then after but, a couple years, you can look back and be like, oh shit, this wasn't worth it. <laughs> does it get easier each episode? It does, I'd say. I don't know. Kai, how do you feel? It, I mean, it, it. There's definitely some Stockholm syndrome that sets in. Also, there are, I, there was a time you would not have been able to get me to admit this, but there are occasionally funny episodes of The Big Bang Theory. They are few and far between, but they are like the oases in the desert that of the show that we just, we just keep holding on in the hopes that next week that wacky Sheldon will finally do something that isn't only funny to. You know the demographic of baby boomers who kept this show alive. And Chris, I guess before we we get into the meat of our episode, could you give us a quick refresher on your own familiarity with the the Big Bang Theory and what it means to you? Yeah, of course. Uh, I I could not stand this show, having never seen an episode. Uh, partly because I think I uh, had really bought into the. Uh, competition, uh, so to speak, between the Big Bang Theory and Community, which were mm. both really trying to push themselves as like the nerdiest show on television. But one of them is, and one of them uh, is the Big Bang Theory. Uh, and so I really uh, st- had a strong dislike for the show. The first episode that uh, I saw was the last time I was on this podcast, and I felt like my feelings were justified uh but this episode i'll tell you what i liked it more than the last one relative improvement yeah Yeah. that's that's the best that we can hope for here so that's (laughs) i'm glad you got to have that experience i would be shocked if you remember this but i actually i don't remember much of the episode but i do remember that the episode that you watched before was very wallowitz centric which was a bad way to be i mean there's there aren't many good ways to be introduced to the Big Bang Theory, but you know having a very special episode starring Howard Wolowitz was not was not a smooth ride. Yeah, I remember the plot of that episode was something like the Big Bang Theory writers' room realized maybe we need to make sure that Wolowitz isn't such a sleazy sex pest. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's. I guess he is he is less of a as you say sleazy sex pest 
because he's he's hitched up with with Bernadette now his uh, his primary issue seems to be that he's just a, a doofus who says shitty things but yes. uh, he's he he's much less into um trying to put together hilarious sex crimes well and fascinatingly though um as we've seen in the last couple of episodes and then we'll let Nick do the summary but um they gave both Wallowitz and Sheldon um sort of love interest characters but those characters spend very little time on screen with their love interests compared to the amount of time they spend hanging out with Penny so there's a weird there's a weird uh paradox where for instance if you were watching this episode you might be able to total and this was the only one you might just think oh those are Penny's friends I had a cultural awareness so that I knew that they were paired off with those other two guys, but I did think it was weird that we never saw them together. Yeah, I don't think they're in the in the room together the entire episode. Yeah, I think some t- there's something about this show where I suspect that they had a specific lady filming days where they'd be like, "All right, we got the meet with the nerds. Let's have the the girlfriends show up for half a day and put their time in." Because uh, sometimes they they'll just disappear for a few episodes altogether, or they'll make just like a brief appearance to show that the the major plot is somehow moving forward, however slowly. Um, but with that, we should actually talk about the episode we watched today, and so we can start getting into specific highs and lows rather than general expectations and grievances. And so today we watched season four, episode 19 of The Big Bang Theory, officially titled The Zarnecki Incursion. And this uh, episode, I think, is noteworthy in how the A-plot stands out as a a very real nerd life, at least in the early 2000s, thing that could happen. And it really commits to the bit because... Our, our our cold open this week is Leonard shows up to uh, the apartment and finds Sheldon there with a cop. And apparently uh, Sheldon had called the cops because uh, his World of Warcraft account had been hacked. And so he reported it as a burglary of all of his gold and trinkets. And this begins a, a quest where the nerds get together to track down the 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 evildoer in in wow who who stole all this stuff from sheldon and to exact their vengeance and they go hard from beginning they 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 have the issue in the beginning they investigate they pursue they confront it's it's like a it's an episode that has a real meaningful plot arc i think yeah Um, and it actually it tries it there's not much of a b plot but it actually sort of ties into the b plot of the episode doesn't it Yes, it does. Uh, the B plot is is it takes a a back seat in a big way, but um, it nonetheless gets woven in pretty well. Where uh, Penny is having sort of a a, a bitchy girls' night with uh, Bernadette and Amy Farrah Fowler, so they can have catty talk about uh, Priya and Leonard, and it results in a a sort of fun catty confrontation in the hallway between girl crew and Priya. But then later on, um, Penny uses her, her, her sass and techniques to uh, accompany the nerds back to uh, the, the, the home of this guy who was the one who in fact stole all of uh, the stuff out of Sheldon's wow account. Uh, 
goes along with them to give this guy a real wicked kick in the nards to to show him what's for for bullying poor Sheldon. That's the general arc of the... That's, yeah, we can get into details, but any structural plot elements you think need to be brought up to understand this work of art better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know if this is like a structural thing, but I really felt like we were building Todd Zarnecki up to be like a celebrity guest appearance, and instead it was just some guy. I felt the same, actually. And so, uh, Chris, as someone who's not uh, on the, the show regularly, you may not know that uh, Kyle likes to make fun of me for how angry I get at most of the uh, nerd cultural nerd culture celebrity appearances that uh, happen on this show because I'm always... Well, only because you implied some very questionable things about how, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson's existence is an argument for eugenics. Not while the mic was live, of course, but, um, <laughs> you know, I really wish you wouldn't talk in that particular way about anyone, much le- you know, regardless of their contributions to the sciences. We're all entitled to our private views, and my public view of, of Neil deGrasse Tyson is that he's a real ham and he needs to stop looking directly at the camera. But anyway, he, uh, yeah, and, and I, I usually get real, real mad about them because uh, I think they're awful. <laughs> but in this episode, yeah, I too was expecting the, the big celebrity cameo when they, they open the door and it's just some guy. And I spent a few minutes like, is he someone I'm supposed to recognize? Like, is this proof that I myself am not deep enough into nerd culture? And uh, to uh, the, the guy's name, by the way, is Todd Zarnecki, which is a reference to the, the episode title, the, the Zar- Zarnecki insurrection or whatever the fuck it was, uh, incursion. But yeah, they, they, do, they drive three hours uh, to this guy's home, all of the nerds together to confront him. Um, Sheldon brings a batleth, a, a, a Korean. I'm not saying a Korean, a, cling, a, a, a Klingon Christ. melee weapon. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that Koreans haven't also used batleths at some point. That's very possible. Um, but yeah, Sheldon brings it to to try to scare this this bully away, and bully just bullies him and takes it. That was actually a great bit. That was like, you know, in the whole jokes of the episode, which is built around this guy has stolen a bunch of stuff. You know, it's it's great because it, it's, you know, it's actually one of the few multi-layered jokes that you ever get on this show. Because, you know, he's like, he's like, Sheldon's like, this is a batleth. And the guy's like, yeah, I know. Because of course he does, because he spends all of his time playing World of Warcraft. And then he takes it from him because he spent the whole episode taking things from Sheldon online. It's it's just beautiful. It's a beautiful little joke. Yeah, they they try to finally be. Uh, they're trying to grow into their adult skin. They're, Sheldon actually even gives this little uh, inspiring uh, uh, pump up pre war speech about how this is not the time that they're going to cave into the bullies that have tortured them their whole lives. That they're they're professionals. They're geniuses. They're they're the top of their field, and they're they're grown ass adults now. And there's nothing that's going to prevent them from finally putting their foot down and and looking their bullies eye to eye and taking what's theirs. And they immediately crumble, and it goes nowhere. <laughs> and so then they have to start driving back home. And there's the car breaks down. They call Penny. Penny, as as 
previously mentioned takes him back to the bully's house to kick him in the narts. Also, I'm, I'm realizing I did forget one uh, one uh, important plot point, which I guess kind of incites the B plot is that uh, <laughs> this this episode triggered me in its content in a way the heavy emphasis on World of Warcraft. Because I've seen too many real life, real life relationships go down the down the tubes, just as happened here, where uh, Priya, the the current love interest that I guess is supposed to be creating tension and conflict that I never actually feel, uh, oh, is shit. is getting frustrated that Leonard could be spending time with her, but is instead going on this World of Warcraft adventure to get Sheldon's stuff back. And it creates a tension and a rift in their relationship. And so that's where, where Penny is kind of like, oh, I'm the, the cool ex-girlfriend who gets it. I don't know. It's I don't know. You, you were both a little bit younger than me, but did either of you have uh, intense World of Warcraft periods? Because when I was in college, my friends got into it, and then I stopped seeing my friends. And this brought back dark memories for me. I never played World of Warcraft because, well, both because like it was just like, frankly, you know, my anti-socialism totally translates to online. Someone was like a video game where you can play with a bunch of strangers on the internet. I was like, that defeats the whole purpose of video games existing to me. So yeah, I was never, I was never too into that. But um, yeah, even yeah. today I kind of want to play Final Fantasy fourteen, but I'm like, I never want to have to look at or speak with another human while I'm doing it, and I know that's the point of it. So there's no point in me playing it. <laughs> yeah, I never played uh, World of Warcraft either. Um, I think that it was like I was maybe just a year or two too young by the time it started to fizzle out. Mm. Well, I hate you for being young and beautiful, and I'll never forgive you, but... That's why uh, I live in L.A., baby! Yeah, yeah! Yeah, that's why they didn't let me stay there, but, um... <laughs> yeah, once you hit a certain birthday, you you gotta go. <laughs> right. Well, you don't have to go, you just have to keep one step ahead of the, one step ahead of the runners who are constantly after you. <laughs> um, uh, well, in this... I want to, before I forget... I totally thought the twist was that Mr. Zarnecki was going to be like an eight-year-old, like in the Big Lebowski, where they track down some person they've been looking for, and it's it's like a child. I thought about that too. Yeah, I was hoping because it was someone like, else well, from it's a, the group because it was like, well, it's some loser who lives with their parents and uh, and spends all their time playing World of Warcraft. And I was like, well, that could be an adult living in a cave, or it could just be like any thirteen-year-old boy. So I was kind of hoping. That this it would have been great if this episode had played exactly the same, except instead of like a two hundred pound, you know, uh, neck beard dude, it was just like a twelve year old stealing Sheldon's bat left. I mm-hmm. do think that would have been funnier, but it was good how it was good how it went. I also thought, as long as we're just uh, kicking around possible identities for who Zarnecki could have been, I thought maybe it was uh, going to be their rival character from that other episode I saw. Uh, like the Krupke one with the speech impediment? Yeah, whatever yeah. that guy's name was. Kripke. Yeah. yeah, I thought maybe it was him with using a different name. And I, was, I thought I was only going to be around for episodes where that guy shows up. That would be good. You, you know, if you want that place on the podcast, <laughs> we can give it to you. You can be our official Kripke correspondent. <laughs> That's got a good title to it. 
Yeah, I do like the way it flows. And I think it's something that, um, given the nature of Kripke's speech impediment, he would be able to say without issue. Um, and so I think it would be perfect. It's we, This is the perfect segment. Hey, everyone, guess what? New segment. Chris is now the Kripke correspondent. <laughs> I love it. What did he do in this episode, Chris? <laughs> Uh, you know we don't we don't know, but he was he was there. I think he, I was I waited for him. Was he going to show up in the cafeteria? Every scene of this show now is just me waiting in anticipation. Is that guy going to show up? So again, I like this episode and the way it it played out pretty well. But uh, Chris, you you were nice enough to team me up to talk about community, and I couldn't help but think of how much like. Like it's, I think it's illustrative of the difference between like the Big Bang Theory and Community because I could actually have seen Community doing the plot of this episode, but they would have just gone like so much more all in on like the entire conceit of it, and you could sort of see how, um, like because there are actually g- pretty good moments in this episode where, um, like you're basically you're seeing them in the living room, but they're describing what they're doing uh in the world of warcraft game and they're describing it like they're you know in a in like a cd noir film and i was like man community would have really gone all in on this like they would have had like the i mean it's harder because uh big bang theory is a three camera show so they can't do everything that community could do but like you know one of my favorite episodes of community is just a law and order parody that's about how someone uh, you know, smashed one of their science experiments and they're trying to track down the person who did it. So I could have seen, and another of their famous episodes is just them all playing D&D, but you don't see it from like the perspective of their imagination. You just see them sitting around the table. So I could, I was really sort of craving just more of that edge of just like, no, we are taking this like hyper seriously we are taking this theft like it was you know a real murder and we are going to marshal all of our forces to like track through the seedy underbelly of the internet um you get hints of it and those were my favorite bits of the episode yeah i i i didn't think so much of community in the way it would commit but i was a little frustrated the way that like raj specifically um is both describing his actions in wow as if he's a regular gumshoe you know, trying to like squeeze half orcs for information and all that. And at the same time uh, is openly talking about how he's getting uh, unwittingly talked into being part of a, a Nigerian uh, money online theft scheme, which that itself hit me in a weird way. Cause I was like, why was it that all of a sudden the online scam was the Nigerian who either had a lot of money or needed a lot of money. And it came and went over like a two year period, but it was like, I, when scams like that are put together, is it like one guy starts it and everyone else catches on and thinks it's pretty cool? Or do you think there's like a coordinated effort to really push out the new wave of cool online theft schemes? I don't know. I don't know. I think it would have. I think it almost has to be coordinated for it to have caught on the way that it did. Because uh, I think it was also at a time where, like, it was tougher to research who the prince of Nigeria was. Well, it, <laughs> I mean, the scam required the internet, so it wasn't yeah. really tougher. To, what it was was these scams were targeted at 
at elderly people who were the kind of people who would assume like, oh, yeah, Nigeria, a place where people might have like hereditary monarchies, but also, you know, poor access to legal resources. It basically like and, you know, and also I don't know how Google works. So it's like it's a weird mix of like basically I think everything like it's Nigeria as an exotic place, but it also preys on like the inherent uh, inability of. Of as of like older boomers to like Google things and also the inherent racism of like they the only thing they know about Africa is they saw the movie coming to America. Hmm. So really, it is older boomers' own fault for being racist and not like reading more. That's a position I'm taking. I'm not saying that's a position you're advocating, but I'm strongly on that side of the fence. Fuck no, those older that. boomers. Yeah, yeah. That's the takeaway from this episode. <laughs> yeah. I will say, well, my favorite thing about Raj's character was that apparently he plays as a sexy lady, and he was just constantly looking for uh, excuses to cyberbone people. I did take a note about that, where he, uh, during his, his sleuthing, spontaneously announces something about being able to trick this character into sleeping with them. And everyone's like, no one asked you to do that, Raj. What are you what are you talking about? And he was he was crestfallen. But yeah, I, I like the idea of Raj spending his free time being a, a horny detective. No, like, yeah, if that were the whole episode, if the whole episode were just them, again, I could see like community if the whole episode were just like assigning them different personalities from uh from like detective films and they're all working together to solve a cyber crime like it's a real crime you know i get why that wouldn't have worked that that whole conceit is a little meta for the audience of the big bang theory but it would be right up my alley which when we're we're talking about the audience of the big bang theory uh this isn't a funny thing but it is something i thought was noteworthy is that um the fact that the nerds are playing world of warcraft in the first place is itself a joke like there's a there's a couple throwaway lines where you know Sheldon or Leonard will describe what they're doing in the game and that you know incites immediate laughter or how I think uh, the audience is supposed to be on Priya's side when she's frustrated that that Leonard isn't um, getting away from from wow to spend time with her and it, it did make me think how like Yes, this show is about nerds, but it is obviously not for nerds. <laughs> like, the, the the people who this is supposed to be about are also the ones who would be most made fun of if they were watching the show. But I don't know. Chris, you wouldn't know this, but a few episodes ago, we did talk about some recent reviews about Kyle and I taking ourselves too seriously. And we need to be a little bit more laid back and, and less like the, the reviewer's disappointing son. So... Maybe maybe I'm being too serious about how how nerds are being portrayed in this episode. Meh. No, because I I mean I agree with you because there's that one line where Sheldon's like, oh, it's almost as if this is a big waste of time, and you can like feel the studio audience like get up on their feet and start applauding. Like, right. It's uh, and I to go back to the community comparison. I agree that a lot of the, there are a lot of similarities in in terms of the premise of how this could have played out uh, in in each show, but it's in addition to the three camera setup versus the the one camera for community. It's also like the the shows have such different uh, 
senses of pacing and timing uh, to where community can go at such a breakneck pace. But it feels like every other sentence in the Big Bang Theory, we have to pause for a laugh, even when it's like the setup before the actual joke. You know what I mean? Like it, like like people it, that are giggling because they see the laugh is about to happen. Yeah, yes. and it's like this isn't. We're not. The joke will be funnier if we let it play out and then we laugh. You know, I don't need well, to that, break it up. No, that is a big. Uh, I'm sorry. This episode is turning. I I'm doing it on purpose because you're here and you're. In addition to being our resident expert on Kripke, you also know more about community than anyone else I've ever met. But, um, I don't get out much. But um, uh, I was recently rewatching that show, and one of the main differences in the type of humor is, like, community's whole thing is that they will make you think you know where a joke is going... And then, you know, they will take the punchline somewhere completely different because they assume the audience is smart enough to both see, like, the joke that was that you would expect there and then smart enough to appreciate the subversion. But Big Bang Theory always, like you said, the jokes almost always have, like, this three-part structure, which is predictable setup predictable punchline and then explanation of the punchline for like the two or three people on the planet who somehow didn't get the joke from the punchline just so that like i mean and i'm 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 well i'm not giving it shit i hate it (laughs) um it drives me up the wall but i guess the you could say there's something very democratic or uh you know a gal it's basically like the big bang theory is only going to make jokes it's never going to make a joke that is that isn't for the anyone watching the show to get. And if on some slim chance you don't get the joke, then it will always explain the joke to you. It never leaves any man behind <laughs> well, in its jokes. And and you're reminding me of something which uh it's this is a a story based on a story based on a story, but the gist is there is this kid who uh was was in a, a grade school class and he had to write a joke and they were all given examples of how to write jokes and so everyone wrote their joke Uh, and he didn't have one ready but he noticed that the general structure of the jokes seemed to be like ba-ba-da ba-ba-da-ba-da da-da-da-da like just in the way you say it and so when it was his turn to tell a joke he said something what's the difference between a shoozle and a boozle Kadoozle! And all the kids lost their shit. <laughs> and I, and it, it, I'm, I'm bringing that up because you're talking about the, the predictable structure of these jokes. I really think, like, even if you don't get it, just hearing the, like, ba ba ba, okay, something, something's about to happen. Da 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 da. Oh, the other person responded, and I'm getting ready for da 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 da. Oh, baby, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> in particular, now that you mention it, that's basically either that's Raj and Wallowitz's whole point on the show because the jokes are almost always between Leonard and Sheldon, and then the only reason Raj and Wallowitz are there is so one of them can be like sarcastic after a comment about the joke that was just made. Yeah, it's and there's nothing wrong with it, but. I think no, there is something wrong with it. It makes all of us dumber and the writers should hate themselves. <laughs> well, I I want to say, you know, I do like um that in in the world of of television writers, you know, oh, we're so used to like uh this idea that there are all these these 
clever, uh, fast-talking geniuses. And so it's nice to know that, like, there are some shows where presumably the writers are like, it's just a job. It's just, I just got to do it paycheck to paycheck. (laughs) Yeah, I can, I definitely feel that way about the Big Bang Theory, that the writers are obviously just like, okay, what bullshit can I have Sheldon say this week? Um and they just go through with it. It's like, what's another way to talk about Wallowitz's relationship with his mother? What other weird things can we, what other weird but predictable dynamics can we add to their relationship? Yeah, and I would even go as far to suspect that in between uh, character pairs, they have like a big pool of bits they've written, like little back and forths that they can just sprinkle throughout episodes wherever they need to fill time. Because, you know, like with Raj and Wallowitz and their snaps back and forth, they can kind of fit wherever you put them. So long as there's a reason for those two characters to talk to each other um, in that. But again, like that, you, like Kyle, you said it derisively, if not accurately, <laughs> um, <laughs> that uh, it is democratic in a way. Like this is, prime sitcom in that whenever you check back in whenever you've got time after work and before bed and it happens to be on you're probably gonna know what's going on because you don't have to worry about big things happening to any of these characters or jokes being based on any previous episode is the actress that plays Priya is she um as uh, stiff in all the episodes that she was in this one. <laughs> I so I don't think of her as stiff, but also the, she seemed to be the same in this episode as any other episode. And so, if if you thought she was stiff here, you'd probably think she was stiff in previous episodes too. Well, okay. well I mean, I don't know. They definitely they they are deliberately. I'm sure, and I'm sure this is going to continue. They're just making her more and more unlikable each episode because, I mean, yes. as you can probably yeah. predict, Chris, the only reason she exists is so that Leonard can eventually dump her to get back together with Penny, right? What? And so they're just, you know, when she first, when they first got together, she was just like Leonard's cool new girlfriend. But they're slowly every episode they're just making her a little more bitchy, I think. So yeah. that no one feels, no one's on her side when he inevitably dumps her. In this episode, I think was the real clear turning point too, with the the lack of understanding or interest in the the world of Warcraft. I think whatever minor differences they may have had before, this is the first clear. Uh, unresolved by the end of the episode rift, I believe. Um, yes, and we didn't talk about it explicitly, but or maybe you did, and I just wasn't paying attention during your summary. Sorry, Nick. But um, mo- more likely possible. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the whole t- Priya is not down for their clowning around about the World of Warcraft, whereas Penny actively goes, and she's basically what I liked is Penny is the muscle in this episode. Like if you think of them as a crew, like she is, the- she-, she becomes the person in the episode who's like the fixer, right? You know, the Vin Diesel character in another movie. Well, and um, she joins in in spirit too. It's not like we got to go get your shit back. She's like, I'm going to show y'all how to finish a quest. Yeah. Well, she does have, you know, again, because they don't expect, they don't really keep track of this kind of continuity, but I kept expecting them to bring up her, her previous crippling addiction to Conan Age of Hyper 
Borea, which I think was um, the multi, the MMORPG that she was addicted to for an entire episode once. Good grief, I'd forgotten all about that. But I haven't. Ah! <laughs> they put her in a leather jacket. I called her the muscle because I noticed they put her in a leather jacket. And I was like, the only reason they're putting her in a leather jacket is so that when she, uh, when she kicks someone in the balls, she looks extra tough doing it. She did look pretty tough. This is actually her joining in and defending the, the nerds, I think, is the most I've liked her in any episode so far. This was... I, I might finally be on board with with Penny being cool if this is how she's gonna if this she's if this is how she's gonna help her friends. Well, it is. It. I mean, again, none of these characters have any real arcs in this show in terms of like how they're described. But it is worth noting that the first episode is basically Penny selfishly uh, tricking Leonard into going to get his ass kicked by her ex boyfriend so that she can get some of her stuff back from his apartment. And then this episode is her, like, showing up to, you know, uh, nut-kick a guy who has taken something that the nerds care about. So if the show cared anything about, like, setting out the explicit character development of its characters, that would be a pretty big, like, sign that she's come a long way. Yes, it would. Yes, it would. <laughs> if only. <laughs> um, but we, I think, have talked about as long as anyone reasonably should talk about any episode of The Big Bang Theory, but do either of you have any other things about this episode that you want to rip apart, get into, put on record before we move on to our nerdy things? Yeah, I mean, there were definitely jokes in this episode, I want to say, that I did find funny, as opposed to the last time I was on where I don't think I laughed at anything. Uh, there were a couple jokes in this episode that I enjoyed, but uh, I also wanted to bring up is the elevator in this building always broken? Because uh, I think it was broken the last time, I, the last episode we watched, but that was also two years ago, so I don't remember. Yes, that's correct. the The elevator has been broken the entire series. There was one episode I think where they lampshade the fact that no one's ever fixed the elevator. I think it was near the finale of the first season. We know that the reason the elevator was broken. Um, was like they show you in a flashback how it got broken and involves uh, Leonard almost accidentally blowing himself up and then Sheldon has to throw the explosive chemical reaction down the elevator before they all die which is how they became best friends so all of that stuff is the in-universe conversation around the elevator Chris and I have theorized before that it's basically so that the different characters can have excuses to be walking and talking to each other in the hallway it's you know it's like it's so they can have their real Aaron Sorkin moments right <laughs> yeah okay that makes sense anything else to get into uh continuing the theme of Leonard is secretly kind of racist about it about dating an oh, Indian woman yep we find oh, out yeah, that yeah, his yeah. ringtone Chris, you don't know this, but in the last episode, there was an entire ridiculously cringeworthy scene where he was like, hey, so is it racist if I ask you to do stuff out of the Kama Sutra with me? And then in this episode, it was, yeah, it's, his ringtone for her is sitar music. Yeah, and it's not just that us as audience members might hear that and think, is that racist? No, it's they address it in episode where... 
I can't remember if it's Raj or Wallowitz or who. No, it's Raj. But looks over at Leonard and is like, not cool, dude. Not not cool, but... Which is one of... I mean, we don't have to get too far into it, but that's one of the things I hate about this show is you can't can't make a racist joke and then just, like, call yourself out for making the racist joke and then be like, well, now it's okay that we made that joke. I mean, there's a line there that some people play with and get away with sometimes where it's like there actually is something clever going on. But that is not an example of it. That is just, you know, d- you know, patting yourself on the back after you've already gotten the punchline you wanted. Right. I'm now hard transitioning us into bi-weekly nerd thingy that we do that's never officially been given a title until I remember it actually has, which is Nerd Thing of the Week. Chris, as the guest, you get to choose whether you want to go first, second, or third. How do you choose? Oh, put me in the middle of that sandwich. I'm going second. All right, and then Kyle, do you have one loaded and ready, or should I go first? Uh, no, I'll. I mean, I'll go first. But we were talking about it at the beginning of the episode. It, I really do. I really like Twin Peaks, which is not like a controversial statement. Is this your but, first uh, time through it, or are you rewatching it? I'm rewatching it, but the first time through, I kind of just skimmed it. I mean, I watched it, but I wasn't like paying attention to it. I was just like, yeah, this is interesting and kind of good. This time I'm really like deep diving into it. And it's just, it's, it's not just better, uh, as your brother was saying, than probably a lot of stuff that was on TV at the time. It was, um, it's like, it's objectively better than a lot of TV that's on now, which is not surprising because, you know, David Lynch is one of the most genius film- filmmakers of, you know, his generation. So it makes sense that a TV show that he did would be, pretty good regard aside from all of the like cool ways in which it frames crimes and all of that because uh, most of you probably like people watching the show either are fans of twin peaks or not but nothing i say about like the general plot is going to sell you on it i will say the main thing that i have learned to appreciate about twin peaks is that it is inc- it is an incredibly weird show that never makes fun of or allows for any kind of ironic separation between all of the weird stuff that's going on and like the characters it's happening to. So like one of the things that I have that I kind of can't stand that we were sort of talking about in this episode is you will see people like, you know, nerds have stuff happen. You will see people doing bizarre, uh, bizarre behavior and part of the joke is like, haha, look at the, the look at the freaks and the things they care about. But in Twin Peaks, it's like there are actual, you know, there's like a lady who carries around a log. That's her whole character dynamic. She's the log lady. And instead of being like, like there are definitely people who are like, oh no, that's the log lady. She carries her log around. It's a little weird. But there's never like anybody, anybody like, oh that wacky log lady. It's like no, she's a she's an important. And dear member of our community, she had some tragedies happen to her. And the way she copes with that is uh, she carries around a log. And here in Twin Peaks, that's okay. And it's just like a, it's just like something that I appreciate that I think is harder to pull off than people give it credit for, which is having all of these bizarre characters who are never kind of contemptuous about their bizarreness. In fact, that's sort of. Uh, to frame it a different way, the main if there is a main character of the show, it's this FBI agent who comes to town, and he's obviously like this Sherlock Holmesian genius character, right? But he is he never falls into any of the tropes of like the dick detective who thinks he's 
smarter than everybody else in the town. In fact, there is another FBI agent who comes in like that, and Agent Cooper, played by Kyle McCoughlin in his prime, is like, no, I'm sorry, you don't get to talk to these people like that. You, you will treat them with respect. And I just, it's, for a show that's so fucking dark, it's surprisingly wholesome in certain ways. All right. Well, strong recommendation for uh, classic television series Twin Peaks, which I need to rewatch because I think my viewing experience with it was similar to your first time through of kind of just skimming through it. And I had a hard time with the latter half of the second season, but I do want to watch that new stuff and think I need to, to review it to have any idea what the hell's going on. <laughs> Twin Peaks, recommend number one. Chris, what what you got for us? Wow, you know what? I'm going to have to go probably with WandaVision. I'm an episode behind as of saying this. but Oh, uh, man. I know. Uh, well, because here's the thing. My, my girlfriend and I, our schedules haven't matched up to watch it yet. And I'm not going to be the one who watches it first. And then we have to, I have to pretend like I didn't watch it before. <laughs> oh, but, the um, problems of relationships. <laughs> but, uh, but I, I, I've been, I was skeptical at first about how th- these uh, beloved Marvel superheroes would work in a, an episodic television format. But so far it's been working real well. It's very intriguing. I think I personally still would have liked for the entire MCU to have just like stopped for like a five year period after Endgame to really let that uh, the the impact of that movie uh, settle in. But what they've been putting out has uh, still been entertaining. Yeah, I agree with that. I've also been watching that show. This you should watch this next. Well, I guess you will watch it as soon as possible. But something happens in in the most recent episode that sort of blew my mind. I mean, it's not that. It's just sort of a weird thing. Uh, I would like to talk to you about it anyway. The other, the only thing I'll say about Wandavision, which I have also really enjoyed, is that one of the things that's made me appreciate is actually how good some of the shows that it's parodying are. So like, which is not to say that WandaVision isn't good, but like when it does, it's like throwback to I Love Lucy or the Honeymooners or whatever. The jokes that it does in the episode are not as good as the actual jokes in those shows. And I think that's sort of like it's one of its few weaknesses as like a product is that like it's it's doing this parody of those shows, but it actually struggles because it's hard because people put a lot of work into those shows and it's hard to do those jokes as well as the original shows did them. How do the parodies compare to the single episode we watched of Heil, Honey, I'm Home? It's shockingly similar, to be honest with you. So the first episode of WandaVision is also about the Vision's boss coming to dinner and wacky hijinks ensue. So I immediately was thinking about... Uh, Chris, you have no idea what the fuck we're talking about. No, but this took a, a, an interesting turn. We recently, we were in our quest to unpack the nature of the sitcom through the Big Bang Theory. I was doing like a quest where I was looking through at other sitcoms because one of the questions we ask from time to time is, is the Big Bang Theory really worse than like any other sitcom that's been popular in the past? Or is it just like you know, that we've moved on as a culture from those, but is it really worse than like, you know, uh, coach or Frasier or whatever? 
Um, Where do you stand on that question as of uh, right now? I so well so I Frasier is a bad example. I think some of those shows were genuinely funnier. Like Frasier was probably better. Maybe like Friends or How I Met Your Mother was better. But you know, I think there are shows like you know there that didn't get nine seasons or whatever. But I think there were plenty of sitcoms out there like you know Coach with Craig T. Nelson or something like that that you know were probably not any funnier on average than The Big Bang Theory was. Uh, anyway, while I was looking up a list of sitcoms, I came across the existence of, it's on Wikipedia, there was an entry for a show called Heil Honey, I'm Home, and I had to know what the fuck that was about. So Nick and I watched the first episode. Spoilers, it turns out a, a, a sitcom where the central joke is, what if it's a normal 1950s sitcom, but it's uh, Adolf Hitler and and his wife? Instead of, like, you know, the normal fat schlubby guy and his wife. Not as funny as you would hope. But uh, it is a thing that exists. Wow, that's, I mean, once you get through all these Big Bang Theory episodes, I think uh, the Heil Honey, I'm Home, Der Podcasten is uh, is the next project. <laughs> we I wanted to. We were so excited to go there. And then the first episode was just honestly not very good. <laughs> yeah. Well, was there ever more than one episode? I, I, again, I, I don't. I, I thought the pilot was released and everyone went, what? <laughs> what? And then that was the end of the series. But My but understanding does... was they had produced like four or five episodes, but only one of them ever saw the light of day. But I think they're all on YouTube now. All but... right. Well, I'm going to keep watching. I think it's fascinating, but not that funny, no. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I'm taking, I'm taking my nerd thing of the week. It's my time. And I uh, have been really nose uh knee deep in the Kyle's previous recommendation recommendation Hades so I'm going to second that recommendation but that is not my recommendation this week instead I thought maybe it's time that I I I put my my toe into the water of making a goofy music recommendation because I was thinking about how I wish earlier in my life I had come to appreciate the work of Glenn Danzig and I hope that through this medium, I can encourage others to explore his his discography because he's a real fun character. For those who don't know, uh, he and his band, the the Misfits, were a, a a big weird underground punk rock deal in the late seventies and early eighties for uh, trying to make as shocking of music as they could, and so a lot of their their songs focused on. Uh, serial killers and murderers and monsters and all sorts of other spooky, gruesome kind of things. And it's weird because when I was growing up, that was already a little before my time, but I remember still there being such controversy and shock around these offensive musicians and their influence on the youth and that didn't prevent me from getting into music like that. I just didn't happen to find it until later in life. And it's so bizarre being an adult and hearing these songs about spooky monsters and thinking that people back in the day were genuinely concerned about what sort of awful corrupting influence it could have. To have like some teen hears a song about being a fly and is like, "Oh God, I have to kill now." I don't, I don't know where how that ever came up to, to pass, but such, such. Were the 80s and uh, early 90s, but and that's 
only the start. Uh, once he goes solo, uh, he continues to be a big, mean, scary guy. Uh, his worth, his work, I think, becomes uh, less worth listening to the further along it goes. Honestly, like his first couple albums as Danzig are great, and then it really starts to it never nosedive, but it's a steady decline. And if you want to see what he's been up to lately, he recently directed a horror movie uh, called Veronica, uh, which was n- notoriously lampooned for being ridiculous and incompetent. And uh, that makes me love this man no less. And so I guess my recommendation is just Danzig in general, particularly his early musical work. Boy, that's a really bold choice because when it turns out this dude is uh, a white supremacist, as almost always happens with these heavy metal guys, you're really going to feel stupid about this one. But I'll let you have it for now. I will also say I had no idea who the fuck you were talking about, so I looked him up on Wikipedia. I thought you would appreciate this, so from the Wikipedia. He was invited by 20th Century Fox to audition for the role of Wolverine in X-Men, as his height and build closely resemble that of the film's protagonist as described in the original comic book. However, he declined due to scheduling conflicts. He later admitted that he was glad to turn the role down as he thought the final product was, quote, terrible, and further insulted Hugh Jackman's performance, calling it, quote, gay. Yeah, that's Danzig, (laughs) all right. And that's the other thing, too, is, like, all this horror, horror punk stuff he was doing, it's, it's hard to overstate how little irony about it is there is. Uh, Danzig is just like a, he's a fucking meathead from New Jersey. <laughs> and he's just like, oh, hey, me and my tough friends, we want to start a big punk rock band. I got a lot of muscles, a lot of, lot of negative feelings. <laughs> um, I, I do appreciate at least somewhat, it, I, I'm proud that at some point people were willing to acknowledge that Wolverine is actually a short, chubby guy. So uh, I'm glad that at least at one point in the process, people were talking about that. Yeah, Hugh, Hugh Jackman had to go go change the game. But yeah, prior to him, I think there was an, an earnest effort to find a squat toughie. And, and Danzig could have been the guy. And we're all better that he wasn't. Love you, Danzig. No, not for you. <laughs> so I, I know I already used up my recommendation, but I remembered I had one more thing I wanted to recommend this week. Is that okay? I don't know. This it goes against every pre-established rule, but I guess we just have to see what happens and find out where it takes us. So by the time this airs, this should be up. So I want to recommend this funny YouTube video that's really cool that a friend of mine cut together, which is just a fake trailer for the the recently announced Star Fox movie. And it's, uh, it's all with, uh, it's been pretty professionally cut together with, uh, with audio clips from editors, like ideal cast handpicked. And I watched a rough cut of it and I really, it really blew my mind. So I have no idea what, how you're going to find that, but surely by the time you're listening to this episode, you can just go on YouTube and search for a Star Fox trailer and you should be able to find it. Yeah, I'd imagine that the the YouTube uh, account uh, Sassy Milkshake will probably be housing that uh, that video that um, I think you saw, and uh, there may be others uh, like it for other known properties uh, that um, 
uh, Hollywood executives should uh, allow Kyle and I to take the reins of. I have no idea how to better end the episode with, <laughs> with someone plugging uh, a, a masterfully cut together Star Fox trailer. Everyone listening to this, we're legit. We're real nerds. Look, like we joke about it. Listen, do you think? Do you think we do this because we we have to? No, we love these weird things. Love us for it. Damn it, love us. <laughs> <laughs>